0: Good afternoon, everybody. Uneducated economist here. I got the Peter Schiff with me. I am really excited to get started into this uh, discussion that we have. Peter Schiff has been probably the number one most influential economist that has got me to where I am today. So I'm really looking forward to doing this. Thank you, Peter, for coming on the show today.
1: Oh, thanks, Simon. Glad I could contribute to your education and now you're educating others, so.
0: Yeah. well, yeah, well, I'm really doing the best I can here to try and break down some of this stuff, because it is incredibly complicated, you know, especially for somebody who isn't really in the game and we're just trying to pick up this knowledge as just, you know, working class guys. This is really what my channel is about, is to bring this information to the working class people so they can try and make indes- you know, make these decisions for themselves when it comes yeah. to the, uh, you, to the you economy. You know, I
1: think the intellectual class overcomplicates very simple concepts, and that's the problem, so it's really kind of untangling all the unnecessary complications that in many cases just cause you to have to defy common sense because a lot of what the conventional wisdom is defies common sense until you realize that common sense is actually correct most of the time and the conventional wisdom is anything but wisdom it's just uh, a propaganda maybe by the government or uh, just uh, an agenda that a lot of people have on the left in particular to try to you know validate uh, socialism they they kind of concoct economics to can twist it into a pretzel to justify the the socialist programs that they want to implement
0: and so right now um interest rates are rising right interest rates are up people are not accustomed to this environment everybody for the last 10 years 15 years have just kind of considered interest rates are going to be down forever and now here we're sitting in a position in which that the fed funds rates are are elevated and they're promising more so tell us is the federal reserve really going to be able to continue this or are they going to run us into some serious issues
1: well they already have run us into serious issues and we've barely uh, begun to feel the consequences of the mistakes that the fed has made. You know, the big mistakes, uh, were not raising rates. I mean, they need to raise rates. In fact, they, they, they waited too long to raise rates and they haven't raised them enough. The problem was they cut them so low in the first place and, and they, they left them so low, but that is also part of the problem. We should not allow a government agency even though technically the Federal Reserve is not a government agency it's independent although it doesn't operate independently but we don't want a group of men in a building you know sitting around a table deciding what the interest rate should be Um, you know the free market needs to set interest rates it's a very important price price of money and we don't want governments guessing what the right price is especially when they have A hidden political agenda that causes them to generally want interest rates to be lower than the market would naturally set them and whenever you have people fixing prices as opposed to a market discovering a price you're never going to get the right price you're either going to be too low or you're going to be too high and in the case of interest rates we've we've been too low I mean the rate was at zero for pretty much a decade there's no way that that was the real rate of interest. That wasn't the rate of interest that the market was going to set if the Fed was neutral and just you know, stayed out of the way and just let everything you know, happen. Uh, they they suppress them. And every time you have the government setting a price, you're going to have uh, negative consequences, usually uh, a, sh- a surplus or a shortage of something. So if they set a price too low, uh, then there's going to be a shortage. Well, more people are going to want to buy, but there won't be enough product. An example of that would be what we did with uh, gas in the 1970s. The reason that you had these long lines is because we controlled the price. We set caps on natural gas or gas prices. And so instead of just paying a high price, we waited in a long line, right? And And that was the price we paid, our time. And of course, we had a ration gas. The market rations it with price. But if you don't let the market ration it with price, then you're going to do it with uh, you know, a more official rationing. Another example is when they set the price too, too, uh, too high. Uh, and then you get a, a surplus. A, a classic example is the minimum wage. You set a minimum wage, and the price for unskilled labor is too high. And so you get a surplus of unskilled labor because nobody wants to buy it. That's unemployment. So you legislate unemployment into existence when you just pick a wage. If the market was able to discover the wage for unskilled labor, then all the unskilled laborers who wanted to work would would have jobs. Uh, But the government prevents that from happening with the minimum wage. Now, the higher the minimum wage is set, the more unemployment that is going to result. But when the government fixes interest rates, you're also going to have shortages and surpluses if you set the rate too low you're not going to have enough savings who's going to want to save when the return is really low on the other hand you're going to have an excess amount of borrowing everybody's going to want to borrow if they can borrow at a very low rate and look at the u.s economy we're loaded up with debt we have record auto loans record mortgage debt record student debt record credit card debt Uh, the u.s government has it's record amounts of debt. Corporations are loaded up with record amounts of debt. Why do we all have so much debt? Well, because interest rates were too low. And so we had a lot of borrowing that would not have taken place if the cost of money was higher. The flip side, the savings rate is near an all-time record low. Most Americans don't have enough savings just to cover you know, a few hundred dollar emergency expense that comes up. How did an America go from a nation of savers to a nation of profligate spenders? Well, like low interest rates. So had we had a market-based rate, we would have a lot more savings, a lot more economic growth and capital investment, and uh, we wouldn't be loaded up with debt, and we wouldn't have had all of these asset bubbles. That's another consequence of keeping interest rates too low. Assets are mispriced. So you get you know, tech stocks in the stratosphere, uh, or you know cryptocurrencies or all kinds of crazy things happen in an environment where interest rates are too low. I mean, we saw that with the housing bubble. That wasn't an accident that that bubble was inflated. The Fed lowered rates to 1%. That was an unnaturally low rate of rate interest. And a lot of people took advantage of that cheap money and they bought houses. And so how home prices kept, uh, kept going up. Well, you got to move the car there.
0: No, no, they were just waving to me. It's my son. <laughs> so,
1: so um, yeah, I mean, so uh, we got used to the ch- cheap money and we did a lot of foolish things as a result of all that cheap money. Like if you're, you know, you, if you're doing a lot of drugs and you're, you know, high out of your mind, you're probably going to do stuff that you wouldn't do if you were sober. You'll regret it when you sober up. And, you know, as the Fed uh, raises rates, people start to sober up. And you know, and they start dumping a lot of these overpriced assets that 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 they bought uh, during a mania. But rates are going a lot higher um, over time. Uh, the Fed is you know just begun, and in reality, even though we've had all these rate hikes, interest rates are still below the inflation rate, even the way the government measures it, because the actual rate is quite a bit higher than what the government will admit to through the CPI. But even if you accept the flawed CPI, interest rates are lower. (laughs) So uh, we're still encouraging people to borrow by providing them with a negative rate. And and so rates are too low. Rates need to be positive. The free market would not set real interest rates negative because nobody in their right mind is gonna loan money to get back less than they loan because all loans have a degree of risk associated with them. And you're not going to risk your money for a negative rate of return. You might as well just keep your money and at least break even, right? <laughs> um, but, of course, if there is uh, a lot of inflation, then people will look for alternative ways to store uh, their purchasing power because they can't do it in the currency that's being inflated. So they'll look at alternatives.
0: hmm And so that's really where I think like a lot of people are trying to figure out what it is that they're supposed to be doing right now with the interest rates rising and the idea that, you know, it's going to start bringing the asset prices down. This is where people start to get concerned. They have the fear of inflation eroding the dollar, but then they also have this fear of asset prices coming down. So the confusion of where it is that people are supposed to go with their cash gets really like, you know, what do I do? Um, You know that's where i found like you know a lot of times you know not to bring up somebody else's theories but like the brent johnson's milkshake theory and gold going up at the same time like the dollar and gold going up at the same time are people are just eventually going to find that there is no place to run to and they're going to end up going towards gold or going towards some sort of other commodity or some sort of asset that hopefully will protect them in this like inflationary or possibly recessionary environment? Is there anything that they can do to protect themselves like that?
1: Oh, well, there are a lot of things that you can do to uh, protect yourself and limit the damage. And yeah, you need to own assets. When you have a lot of inflation, uh, you don't wanna own uh, debt instruments. You don't wanna be a creditor. So you don't wanna have cash. You don't wanna have uh, a CD, or you don't want to have loan somebody money and they're just going to pay you back the same amount that you loaned. You don't want cash value in an in insurance policy or an annuity uh, because inflation is going to erode away the value. But you also don't want to own highly speculative companies that were bid up in price because of the 0% rate environment we were in. So certain types of assets won't do well during inflation. And those were the ones that were already inflated, that, they, that they, the prices were pumped up by the cheap money. And so they became very overpriced. And so as the air comes out of those bubbles, even in an inflationary environment, the price of those assets is going to fall. So you want to avoid what benefited when uh, rates were at zero. And, and you want to look at different assets that will provide protection. Because one of the things that inflation does, other than act as a tax for the government, because that's how the government generates the income it needs to pay its, for its spending. We just had that $1.7 trillion spending bill. Nobody's taxes are getting raised to cover those costs. So everyone's going to pay the cost through higher prices. The government's going to print money and create inflation. As opposed to taxing us and taking our money, they're going to take the purchasing power from our money by putting more money into circulation to pay for these deficits. So the government will benefit through, through that. But also, when you have inflation, you transfer wealth from creditors to debtors. Because the people who loan money, when they get paid back, they're not getting paid back the same value that they loaned. The flip side is the people who borrowed money. When they have to repay the debt, they're not paying back as much value as they originally got. Uh, so, you know, if you look at a stock, for example, there are stockholders and there are bondholders. So during inflation, the bondholders lose at the stockholders' gain, right? So it's the bondholders' loss is the stockholders' gain. But you don't want to buy a stock that's, you know, 40, 50, a hundred times earnings or has no earnings because then there can be a big loss. But if you buy a real company that's trading at, you know, five to 15 times earnings, somewhere in there has a good dividend yield and they they've been around they're selling products and services that people really need to buy and they'll keep buying them. And even if the price goes up, they'll still buy, maybe they'll buy a little bit less, but they're going to keep on buying. Uh, they'll give up other things in order to keep buying what you've got. Uh, those are the companies that you want to own as a way to beat inflation, to have a dividend yield that will rise as fast or faster than your cost of living. And you want to own real things. You want to own commodities. You know, you, and so gold is one of the commodities that people will own. It's obviously the easiest commodity to own because the storage costs are so low, you can get a lot of value in a small space compared to other commodities. So in highly inflationary times, gold is an instrument of choice, not just for individuals, but for governments. I mean, you can already see that now. Major central banks around the world have been adding to their holdings of gold, which are still relatively low compared to where those holdings have been in the past. So I think central banks still have a lot of gold to buy. Uh, But the average investor, particularly the institutions, are way underinvested in gold compared to where they would have been 30, 40 years ago. Uh, So there's a lot of room for gold to be purchased by investors and there's not a lot of gold. So if if, uh, more companies, uh, more investors, more governments are going to want to gain or increase their exposure to gold, uh, it's only gonna be because the price goes way up. It It can't happen without that, without prices going up because there's just not enough gold there to buy At the current price so the price has to has to rise
0: yeah so i know like i mean i'm a i'm a firm believer in the precious metals and i buy as often as i can um my major thing that i buy for is the insurance policy that i feel that i get from having precious metals in my possession it's something that's outside of that third party i don't have to worry about the banking systems i don't have to worry about anything out there and in fact when i was really broken like down pretty down in my life. My car broke down. I use silver as a trade to get a car. So it's been very much an insurance policy for me. And I know a lot of other people look at it as that. But why are central yeah. banks getting into it? Yeah. You know? Why are central banks and why would they buy buying it?
1: Yeah, I mean, gold is an asset that if you have the physical gold and, you know, we sell a lot of physical gold and silver at Shift Gold and, uh, you know, and I I recommend that when people get into gold and silver, they don't try to become coin collectors. Don't try to let some salesman talk you into buying some rare coin where you're paying 30, 40, 50 or 100 percent more than the value of the gold and silver in the coin. Just buy bullion coins where you're paying slightly higher than the value of the gold and silver if you were to melt the coin. So you're maximizing the amount of gold and silver you buy with the paper that you have to, to pay for it. But that's a very uh, safe, conservative type of investment because you've got your hands on it. It's not somebody else's liability. It's always there. And if you need it, you know, you've got it. You know, that doesn't mean that in the short run, the price can't go down. It, it could. Uh, but over time, it's far more likely to go up but you know it's never going to zero i mean there's always going to be buyers for these these metals uh it's not like a company a stock that can go to zero or a bond where the lender can default and it's worthless right that's never going to happen with a a physical metal so your downside is limited and if there's a lot of inflation obviously uh you know it's a way to stay ahead of it but the reason that i think central banks are buying and the Fed is not buying, but there are other central banks that are. And I think that's because they recognize that we are in a inflationary environment worldwide, that all the major economies, not just the United States, but the European Union, you know, the UK, Japan. I mean, everybody has uh, kept interest rates too low. Everybody, Every government rather has run up debt, not not to the degree that our government has, but they've still run it up and there's no political courage anywhere. To level with voters and deliver the bad news that, hey, we've overpromised and we've either got to cut your benefits or raise your taxes. Nobody wants to fess up. Nobody wants to uh, default on their debt because obviously, you know, you don't look too good when you default. That's pretty embarrassing to have to admit that you can't pay your bills. Uh, and so everybody is going to inflate. Everyone's going to print money. And so the value of currencies is going to fall. Inflation is going to uh, continue to increase worldwide and persist. And I think central banks know that the dollar's days are numbered. The dollar acts as the primary reserve. So if you want to know, hey, why does uh, uh you know a particular currency have value? Say, so, hey, why does the New Zealand dollar have value? Well, it's backed up by our reserves. What are, what are your reserves? Well, they're US dollars. All right, well, what if the US dollar doesn't have any value? Well then what you've got nothing. You're backed by nothing. Right? It always reminds me of that, you know, the Superman movie, the, the first one where, where, where Christopher Reeve you know, catches Lois Lane, she's falling from the plane and 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 he and he says i got you and she says you got me who's got you right you know and so if you know if there's nothing behind the dollar and the dollar is all that's backing up some other currency well then the currency has no backing and you know and the dollar is not superman so it's gonna it's gonna fall back down to earth but i yeah. think these central banks recognize okay if there's going to be a dollar crisis a loss of confidence in the dollar Then this could be a uh, a crisis in the monetary system Um, so what do we do how are we going to back up our currency how are we going to convince people that there's real value here well let's back it up with gold let's have gold reserves because that's real so if you say you know oh let's back it up your currency well gold okay you got something behind it you know you've got something real because that's where all these paper currencies came from in the first place They were liabilities for gold. Central banks initially only issued paper currencies because they had gold. It was just a more convenient way for people to use the gold. They used the paper instead of the gold, but the only reason they used the paper was because it was backed up by gold. And you could actually take your paper currency to the central bank and you could get your gold if you wanted it. But there was no reason to get it because people would take the paper because they trusted that they could get the gold whatever they wanted. And so nobody, nobody went and took it. Right. Then we just started using paper,
0: but until you know, I, think, well, I was going to say until eventually they had too much paper printed out there and there was no way they were going to be able to back, well, back it all the, up go- the, gold.
1: the governments took advantage of the fact that people weren't showing up to get their gold. And they said, Hey, wait a minute, there's nobody actually getting their gold. So let's just keep creating paper that we don't actually have gold behind. And then, you know, like the U S did that. And then all of a sudden, in the early 70s, Charles De Gaulle out of France, the most popular, uh, was like, wait a minute, the U.S. is printing all this money. They've got these budget deficits. They're fighting the war in Vietnam. they got this great society program. They've got this moon mission. Where's all the money coming from? They don't have all that gold. And De Gaulle is like, you know what? I want my gold. I'm not going to hold these dollars. Brought them in. Give me my gold. And that's when uh, we had to shut the gold window because we didn't have, you know, the jig was up. But the thing was, after we, we, we went off the gold standard, which was supposed to be temporary, but here it is 50 years later, we didn't go back, but we kept on printing money. And then once the government saw that we could just issue money back by nothing and everybody would take it, that's when we just turned on the presses. And that's when the government really became Santa Claus because now the voters can have everything they want. It's all free. print up some money and pay for it right and so that's how the government got bigger and bigger and bigger and we and the debt got bigger and bigger and bigger and you know we're about to you know pay the consequences you know the chickens uh are coming home to roost and uh you know there's a lot of them so yeah it's it's not gonna be it seems
0: you know and it seems to me i mean at least when i kind of hear the chatter out there Especially when you when you think about like some of the uh, possibilities of going into a negative interest rate, which is something like you know, 15 years ago would never have even been a concept. I mean, no economic class prior to that would have been talking about negative interest rates, right? I mean, this is well, kind of if, a new concept.
1: It really was an absurd concept. But you know, the reason for negative interest rates was the US, because we went to zero. now you had europe that wanted to have a stimulative policy and normally since the dollar is the reserve currency if you wanted to stimulate you know keynesian style you would want your interest rates to be lower than the rates in the u.s and so whatever our rates are you got to be lower well if we're at zero how do you get below zero well, they had to go negative it was the only way to be below zero but had we never lowered rates to zero let's say the fed only went to two percent the ecb never would have gone to zero they never would have they, they wouldn't have gotten negative they would have said okay we'll go to one you know the us is at two we'll go to one but you know but but we set the, you know the bar really low at zero so the only way to be have lower rates than the us was to be negative negative. and as absurd as it was that's what happened and of course it had disastrous consequences for europe Mm. and now that rates are rising in europe you know a lot of the damage is going to rise to the surface you know uh, a lot of it you know was being papered under but you know they did incredible damage to their economy in europe in japan you know in pursuit of inflation because all these central banks justified their negative rates by claiming that they didn't have enough inflation it was like oh this is required we need more inflation you know we got to get up to two percent as if this was some kind of emergency That prices weren't rising fast enough like the average european or japanese the big problem was god i wish food was just more expensive you know every year the price barely rises i mean i really wish when i go to the supermarket i could see a two percent increase every year in the price of food because you know this stability in food prices has really really you know, got me scared or like oh my god i went to the supermarket and i was able to buy food for less money than the time i went before that's a disaster you know we need some central bank to save me from from this i mean this is horrible having to buy less expensive food so you yeah. know so to just and now of course food is like skyrocketing now people have to eat dog food because they can't afford <laughs> human food but okay great at least it's not it's not you know going down in price. So the, the central bank saved us from that.
0: Um, so this is this is really is what's uh, kind of interesting is to think like what's going to happen here in the next, you know, say five to 10 years when we go into the next issue, like we're going to run into another recession at some point, and they're going to have to try and stimulate the economy.
1: But well, we're, we're
0: already there. We're already there.
1: Yeah, we're already in a recession. And so the thing that they did is just Change the definition and pretend we're not in one, right? Because there's nothing they can do about it. So you might as well pretend that we're not in a recession. The, pro- the problem is the recession is going to get so bad, I think, next year that they can't pretend anymore. But yeah, I mean they're, you know, they're trapped between a rock and a hard place because they can't do anything about the recession. Because the only tool the Fed has is inflation. That's how they've gotten us out of every other recession in the, let's say, the post-war time period was by creating inflation. They print money, lower interest rates to reflate another bubble, to replace the one that burst. But the bubbles always burst as a result of the inflationary policies that, that inflate them. And then when they have to raise rates to try to prevent the inflation from getting too out of hand, they prick the bubble, everything crashes, and then they start the process all over again, only they have to do it bigger because you know the economy is more screwed up and, and it needs even more monetary heroin to get high again. So you know they just replace one bubble with a bigger bubble, and, and the country uh, you know, gets worse. The structure of the economy continues to, to erode away. But we've now reached a point <clears throat> where the main problem is inflation. They've created so much inflation to so-called solve the problems of the past that the problem we got now is inflation itself. Well, when the government's solution has now become the problem, they're out of solutions because how are you going to create more inflation to solve a problem of too much inflation? You can't. So if now a lot of people think, well, it won't be a problem because we can't have recession and inflation at the same time. They're wrong. They don't understand inflation. They don't understand recessions. In fact, historically the worst inflations that countries have ever experienced happened during recessions. They don't happen when times are good, They happen when times are bad so we're gonna have a severe recession and high inflation at the same time which means there is no government remedy for that recession we have to allow the recession to run its natural course without the government doing anything to try to soften the blow and because of how big the bubble was and how many mistakes were made while that bubble was inflating this is going to be a long deep painful recession and if the government tries to make it less painful it's only going to make it more painful that is the the problem because if they try to do anything about the recession inflation is going to get worse and that is actually the bigger problem or the biggest problem that most people have right now is they can't afford the prices because they're already too high and if they go much higher uh, then it'll be even worse.
0: It's going to be even worse. And if they're in a recession, the chances of like finding jobs or getting good paying jobs really don't occur during a recession, right? I mean, I'm thinking from the working class point of view, if I lose my job during recessions, aren't the exact, you know, prime time to go out there and find another employment. So not only are you suffering with high prices, but you're also suffering with less available work out there
1: yeah i mean and right now there are jobs out there they may not be great jobs that's why so many people are working two or three jobs now but those jobs are there Uh, but as the recession gets a lot worse a lot of those jobs won't be there right and And that's what
0: i think that's a lot what the federal reserve is actually asking for with the raising of interest rates is to try and slow the consumer down and then slow the consumer down, basically, is saying we don't want you earning as much.
1: Well, the the correct policy is not to reduce earnings, but to reduce spending. So, it's not important that people earn less; it's important that they spend less. So, your earnings can go up, and your spending can go down if your savings go up. So, that's what we need. We need people to save more and spend less because what does that do well when you spend less you're putting less demand in on goods and so that brings down prices but when you save your savings are then made available to businesses to invest in more plant and more equipment more capacity to produce to increase the supply and so if you reduce the demand for goods while increasing the supply of goods you're going to bring down the price So that's what the Fed needs to do. You don't need to put people out of work because that will actually reduce supply to the extent that those people were productively employed helping to produce stuff. If you put them out of work and they're no longer producing, then you're adding to the supply problem. So you can actually have an increase in unemployment and more upward pressure on prices at the same time. And, of course, by raising interest rates, you're also putting upward pressure on prices because you're increasing the cost of doing business. A lot of businesses have debt uh, and, you know, they need to recoup those expenses. Um, You know, a lot of landlords have debt. They have to raise their rents every time the Fed raises interest rates. So, you know, we're in this uh, situation where creating more unemployment and raising rates is actually going to backfire on the Fed. Not that they shouldn't be raising rates, they should. In fact, they shouldn't even be raising rates at all. They should be just backing away from the interest rate market. They should be shrinking their balance sheet a lot faster and just let the world know we're out of the government bond buying business. We're just going to be selling bonds. And, you know, you're on your own. You know, don't expect the Fed to come and bail you out. uh, If interest rates start to rise and bond prices start to fall, don't look to us. You know, we're not we're not buying. We're out of that business. You know, the market has to find the true level of interest rates. So believe me, the rate is much, much higher than, uh, than than the current rate.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably what the, uh, the biggest fear coming out of like most people is that the Fed would do something like that, right? I mean, not when I say the, the scare, cause like I'd be cool with it, I'm prepared, I'm ready to deal with something like that. But most people who are heavily in debt or, or reliant on the system wouldn't understand an environment like that at all.
1: But that's exactly what the Fed is going to do, unfortunately. You know, when the Fed is surprised by the fact that we go into a severe recession and inflation actually gets worse, right, which is a situation that they think is impossible. They think, well, if we go into a deep recession, at least we won't have inflation to worry about anymore, and we could just go back to what we've been doing, which is creating inflation. But if we go into a severe recession and inflation is still high— Well, I mean, you know, they're out of tricks, right? But I think that despite that, when push comes to shove, the Fed is going to pick the poison that it thinks is the least toxic, right? And it's going to say, you know what? Inflation is bad, but a financial crisis and a depression is worse. So we're just going to have to have more inflation. We're just not going to get back down to 2% maybe three or four percent whatever they're going to say but hey we're never going to get to two because the cost of getting there is is too high so we're just going to have to get used to living in a world with higher inflation because it's better than the alternative now it's not better than the alternative it's way worse but the fed and the government won't won't know that and even if they do know that all they really care about is the short run and yes if the poison they pick is inflation and they go back to QE and they cut rates, even though inflation is still high. The short-term pain will not be as great as if they did the right thing and continued the inflation fight, in fact, turned it into a real fight with big cuts in government spending, which is, of course, you're not gonna fight inflation unless you get rid of these deficits. So we need uh, spending cuts, uh, maybe tax increases if we can't get spending cuts. Spending cuts are my preference. Uh, Tax increases would be the next choice and not on the rich. Unfortunately, that's not going to work because you got to reduce consumption. So you got to raise taxes on the middle class and the working poor. So, you know, I'd rather cut spending to do that. Uh, But the inflation tax hits the poor harder than, you know, a sales tax would. Uh, So I I would rather have that. But cutting spending is the first choice. But when the politicians have to decide pain now or pain later, Well, that's a no-brainer for the politicians. It's pain later because later I might not be in office anymore. In fact, if we have pain now, I won't be in office because I'm going to lose the next election. So the way to minimize my own pain as a politician is to kick the can down the road, right? So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get me reelected. So if inflation now means pain later instead of now, even if it means some pain now, but the, the worst pain is later on, that's what I'm doing, right? Man. Uh, the politicians will always sell out the long-term ish- interests of the country for their own political benefit. And so that's what's going to happen. And the central bankers are really no better than the politicians. I mean, they're really political animals there. And, and they're going to make the same choice. They're going to choose pain later because, you know, as far as Powell is concerned, hey, I'm just going to finish out my term and it's somebody else's problem, right? I don't blame me. Right. I, you know, I don't want to be the one that gets blamed for all this pain, Let let, let it happen on somebody else's watch.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, I mean, I,
0: I totally agree with that because it always seems like they're never going to make the right decision for what's good now, always push it off until a future time. Yeah. And that's the only, totally the, only
1: think- the only time that they will do the right thing, potentially, potentially, I mean, it's not a guarantee but let's say we're at a real crisis, right? Where the dollar is imploding, prices are skyrocketing, right? Inflation is, I mean, we're on the verge of becoming, you know, Argentina or Zimbabwe, you know, where it's like, you know, it's gonna be awful with, you know, price control shortages, riots, looting, you know, civil unrest. I mean, things are just, I mean, it's just like an apocalyptic environment, right? In that environment, where it's like, crap, you know, no matter what we do, we're screwed. Maybe then they'll do the right thing. It's like, only, but they're going to exhaust all the other possibilities. They would have done everything they could possibly do wrong. And then it's that, okay, no matter what we do, we're, we're, we're screwed. Maybe then they'll do the right thing, assuming they understand what the right thing is. I mean, I'll be there to tell them, you know, but the question is, you know, will they listen?
0: Yeah, no, I know you'll be there to tell them, that's for sure. Um, but that's a lot of what I kind of, is going to lead me into the next question here is like, what is it that they are going to do for this next issue? Or what is it that they are planning on doing to create like the monetary stimulus or whatever that's coming? Central bank digital currencies, what's going on here? I mean, this seems to be pushed worldwide and almost guaranteed to be coming.
1: Yeah, but that's more an element of government control than than monetary policy, although it may make it easier for governments to inflate the money supply and to try to target their so-called stimulus. Uh, because you know sometimes they get frustrated, they they send people stimulus checks, and they don't necessarily spend the money. Oh my God, maybe they save it. And so what they could do is say, hey, we're just instead of stimulus checks, we're going to give you some digital money with an expiration date. So here's your you know we're gonna load up your wallet. And, you know, you got 24 hours to spend it or you lose it, right? Hey, everybody's like, you know, but then they might say, okay, you can spend it, but here's the only places that it's good, right? I don't know. They might try to mic- micromanage. Oh, you can't use your money to buy a gun, right? But, you know, you, ha- you you can spend it at Walmart or whatever. I don't know. But I mean, but the, the part that I don't like about government issued, uh, a, a, you know, a digital currency, and of course. As long as they don't eliminate cash, right, then it's not as big a deal, but they want to eliminate cash. That's what their goal is, is to get rid of all the bills. So you have no alternative, but that digital currency. And the reason I don't want to live in a world where you're stuck using a digital currency for every transaction you make, and there's no way to transact in private, is that the government knows every single thing you spend money on and that can give governments a lot of information about you even if you're not spending the money illegally for the government to know everything that you like every cause that you support every every, every, you know everything that you do they can create a profile of you and potentially that that they could use that profile in ways that could be harmful to you and you know, a lot of the things that you're doing today with your money may be legal, but what if they're illegal in the future? Because people just assume that governments are benevolent and they're, and they're good, but they tend to get very corrupt and, and get very evil. And a lot of times the governments become the bad guys and the resistance is the good guy. And how do you overturn a corrupt government? Well, it's a lot more difficult if that corrupt government knows every single thing you're doing and can see all the places that you're spending your money Uh, and 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 they can crack down on anybody that becomes part of a resistance and and once the government knows that it's harder for the people to resist tyranny well they're more likely to become tyrannical so it becomes a self-perpetuating prophecy you know lord acton said power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely and so the more power you give government the more corrupt government becomes so you always want to be vigilant When it comes to government, you don't want to give up your liberties uh, just because, you know, you'll get some extra safety. And because what the politicians are going to say is, oh, if we just eliminate cash, we'll make it harder for the drug dealers and the terrorists and the money launderers. And maybe that's true. But you know what? They're going (laughs) to we're going to we're going to lose a lot of our individual rights and freedom. And it's just not worth the trade off. Catch the drug dealers and the terrorists another way. Because I'm not going to surrender all my freedoms so that you can get a few more drug dealers behind bars, you know. uh, Because the government is going to do a lot more damage than the drug dealers would have done or the terrorists uh, by taking away our liberty. Because that's, you know, what is the threat that terrorists have? They want to limit our, our freedom. Well, if we limit our freedom even more than the terrorists ever could... You know, uh, to try to to try to stop the terrorists. Uh, and you know, from my perspective, being in the financial service industry, I already see through uh, this charade. All of the anti-money laundering that we have now, the laws on the books, all that stuff. Yes, they say it's here because of terrorists and and and, and drug dealers and criminals. But that, that's just to for the public to get them to approve the the, the laws. The one goal that all these governments have in mind, the the criminals that they really want to catch are the people not paying their taxes. That's really what they're going after, right? Uh, They want the tax money. And so they think that if they eliminate the cash economy, then they're going to collect more taxes. Because there's still a lot of people today that do some work under the table, get paid in cash that's who the government is going after not the drug dealers right it's the guy that's driving his uber and he's getting some money in cash or he's doing some odd jobs and you know that's why they now want uh, all these uh, payment companies to report all these small transactions like 600 or more you know they want all these transactions reported why because people were were having income and they weren't uh, paying taxes and yeah i mean i guess a lot of these people are breaking the law but a lot of people are in a situation where if they don't break the law, they don't eat. I mean, there are some people that, you know, Hey, I, I, you know, this is what I've got to do uh, to, to, to make ends meet. Because if I paid taxes, I couldn't earn enough money after taxes uh, to, to cover my expenses. So the only way I could, I could do it is uh, to, to not pay the tax and I'd rather have somebody working and not paying taxes than just sitting on welfare. I mean, because, you know, that, <laughs> at least they're productive, at least they're providing goods and services. And, you know, when the government says we, we need all these IRS agents to go after the rich, that's a lie. They're not going to go after the rich. <laughs> they're going to go after the middle class. They're going to go after the small business owners. Th- those are the ones that are cheating. The rich don't have to cheat. They have loopholes to reduce their taxes. The average guy doesn't have a loophole. <laughs> so his loophole is, well, I'm going to make some money on the side. And I'm not going to report it, right? Or I'm going to exaggerate some of my deductions. But you know, the minute you you eliminate cash, uh, you know, they, they crack down on uh, on that the underground economy.
0: Yeah, and that's really what I think the uh, central bank digital currencies is all about. It's about negative interest rates and taking cash out of society so that they can run those negative interest rates into something as simple as like your savings accounts or your bank accounts. Forcing you to f- spend that money out there into the economy or invest it somehow,
1: and that's um, when if all these currencies disappear, I mean, the way people are going to get around it is by going back to real money. People will start transacting in in silver, you know, in uh, metal, copper, gold, uh, because those transactions can still be private to the extent they're affected with a physical coin, right? So that you can still, uh, you know, maintain your your privacy. Uh, but I also think that to the extent that you're not worried as much about the privacy aspect you're more worried about inflation and a loss of value then i think a lot of people will reject government fiat cryptocurrencies and instead will use privately issued cryptocurrencies that are backed by gold because that's hands down better than anything issued by a central bank if i have a cryptocurrency that represents ownership of actual gold that's being stored by a credible third party And now I could use blockchain and my cell phone, you know, to transact uh, with everybody around the world instantly at a low cost. And we can buy and sell and use gold as a medium of exchange and a unit of account. Then hands down, that's the winner. And that's, you know, so the central banks are going to push everybody back onto a gold standard. You know, we don't need the governments to return to a gold standard because they have no vested interest in doing that. Uh, Governments benefit from fiat because that way they don't have to tax, they can just print. But uh, individuals benefit from real money that doesn't lose value. And it's much better when government can't just create money out of thin air because then they can steal your purchasing power and you've got no say in it. I would much rather have governments be forced to tax me to get my money. If they could just print and take my money, I mean, I'm kind of powerless. But if they actually have to raise taxes, it makes it a lot harder because a lot of politicians don't want to vote to raise taxes. It's a it's a difficult vote to cast. Nobody cares if you vote to spend money. Right. So you can just print all you want. But if you actually have to raise taxes to pay for the programs, there'll be a lot less programs and you'll have much smaller government if we have honest money and smaller government benefits society because the smaller the government, the lower the cost of supporting it. And if I have to spend less money on government, I have more money for myself. I mean, that's why if you go back, let's say to before the New Deal era, even just before the 1970s, really. But um, if you are uh, an American man, and you know you, you you graduated from the sixth grade, you know you didn't even go to high school. You know you just you know you you had some you know few years of grammar school. You can go out and get a job, and your paycheck. Was big enough to support a wife, three, four kids, five kids. Uh, you can, you know, get a place to live. Uh, you could save for your retirement. You know, you know, you, you know. You could. You didn't need credit cards. Didn't even have credit cards. So whatever you needed, you could buy it, right? You, you know, we built the highest living standard in the world in America, uh, and the reason was government was tiny. Government was very small, and so there was no income tax. There was no personal income tax. There was no corporate income tax. There was no social security tax. There was no Obamacare tax. Taxes were very small. And so when you earned a dollar, you, you kept a dollar. And so you could support your family. But as government got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was more expensive, and larger portions of people's paychecks were removed by the government to cover all these new services, well, now a guy's paycheck wasn't big enough to support his family. So his wife had to go get a job, you know. And then the husband and wife's combined paychecks weren't big enough. So they had to go out and borrow money. They had to use credit cards. And, all. and so the whole thing is falling apart. And so if we, if we return to sound money and that reigns in government and government is forced to get smaller, then the economy can get much bigger, right? Because you have an inverse, inverse uh, proportion. The bigger the government, the smaller the economy. And if you shrink government, you grow the economy, and then you have more prosperity and you have more wealth.
0: Very interesting. I mean, it's, it's, you know, to think about like, you know, with the, with your kind of ideas or, I mean, I guess this has actually taken place with the, uh, the digitizing or the tokenizing of gold so that you can use a blockchain technology to do real transactions in gold. That could be a real concept of returning back to the gold standard of sorts, right?
1: Absolutely. And it's the private sector that's going to lead that. And, uh, you know, just like, look, the private sector came up with paper money. Government didn't come up with it. I mean, pri- government government corrupted it. But, you know, gold was money, uh, not because government said it was money, but because the people said it was money. And, you know, the kings needed gold to pay their soldiers because the soldiers needed gold to buy bread, right, or whatever they needed. So, uh, but when the government started creating money out of thin air because we replaced real money with paper, that's when governments really started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, these problems have, have come up. But the, the, the only advantage that government money had was it was convenient. Right? It's, you know, it's easy to go to the grocery store and pay for your groceries with, with dollars. But if you can eat just as easily pay for your groceries with gold, then the, the grocer is going to want to get paid gold. Because if I, can, if I can get paid in gold as simply as I can get paid in dollars, well, that's a no-brainer. I'll take gold, right? Because gold's real. I mean, the dollar, especially as inflation really picks up, because the problem that a lot of companies are going to have when inflation really picks up and it's like, you know, let's say it's not 10% a year, but 10% a month, and you're trying to run a business and your prices are just going out of control, I, I don't even want to sell anything because because the minute I sell something, what if I have to buy it back and it's more expensive than what I got when I sold it? Because the money I got lost so much value that I, when I go to use it to replace my, my inventory, I can't afford it anymore. So a lot of times what's going to have to happen is these businesses are going to have to go to gold. So it's, hey, you want to buy some of my food? Pay me in gold. Because then I know I could take that gold and restock my shelves. Right? So that's gonna but as soon as we make it convenient, and it will be as convenient to pay using the internet and using your smartphone and using blockchain, uh paying and transacting in Bitcoin in, in gold will be easier than it ever was with Bitcoin, and people will actually do it. I mean, nobody uses their Bitcoin to buy their groceries. They theoretically could if the grocer was willing to accept it, but you know it, it, the transactions are too slow uh they cost too much and it's too volatile and the grocer doesn't want bitcoin you, you know it, it can collapse but this would work with gold better and cheaper than bitcoin and you have a monetary instrument that actually works i mean gold was money for thousands of years so it's not like it can't be money again bitcoin was never money you know even though it's been around for 12 or 13 years it's never functioned as money it's just been a speculative token. Uh, and, you know, now the people that are speculating on it are losing a lot of money.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's for sure. I mean, watching it go from 60,000 down to 16,000. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people really lost out almost, on
1: it. It was almost 70,000, actually. Yeah, it was the high was 70. over 69,000, yeah. but I mean, you yeah. know. Yeah. But a lot of people bought in at around 60,000. That's where El Salvador started buying.
0: Yeah right you know yeah and you know that you know they're, they're feeling the pain from that now as the uh losses are being felt
1: well they're you still know? in denial right they're still like oh it's doesn't matter it's just this is just the volatility of bitcoin don't worry yeah. about it it'll be it'll be at the moon before you know it we'll be at new <laughs> highs hundred thousand five hundred thousand you know it's done this before yeah except they they told they told everybody that the volatility was over that that was in the past you know now that it had gotten mainstream now that we had the institutions, we weren't going to have to worry about these big, you know, 70, 80, 90% declines, except now we're right back at it. They never want to admit their mistakes. But, no. uh, you know, these guys are going down with the ship. Next year should be brutal for, for Bitcoin. I mean, uh, I, I, I think it's going to collapse, you know, probably below 5,000 next year, you know, by the end of the year. And yeah. then, you know, it, is that going to be the bottom? No. I mean, the, the bottom is zero. The only question is how long it's going to take to get there.
0: Yeah, well, I hope it doesn't go to zero. I am a buyer of Bitcoin, not much, um, but I do buy, you know, little bits here and there just to be in the game. Um, You buy buy lottery
1: tickets too? No, I don't buy lottery tickets, but I... Well, you just just buy lottery tickets with your Bitcoin money. Okay. Better (laughs) shot.
0: You're probably right about that. Um, But no, I'm a much more um, firm believer in in holding precious metals. Um, But I do buy Bitcoin just to be in the game. So I have some... Yeah, I mean, as long as
1: you look at it as entertainment, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to have some so I can trade it. I'm just like, this is my money and so, so yeah i mean if you know and so if you're willing to spend a few hundred dollars a month on entertainment and you will, you're, you're entertained by by bitcoin then sure go ahead i mean if you get enjoyment out of it then you're actually getting something of value but mm-hmm. don't put money in there that you're not going to enjoy losing <laughs>
0: <laughs> No, i hear you peter Thank you so much for taking an hour of your time. I know how Has valuable it, an it is. Right. And, you know, I really appreciate all the, um, you know, all the info that you shared with us and your thoughts and opinions. Um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or follow you, how is the best way to, to follow you on the internet?
1: Well, I am all over the internet. I mean, I certainly take advantage of social media. Uh, I think Twitter has been my uh, biggest platform. I didn't even start using it till a couple of years ago. I really didn't uh, do much with it, uh, but now I've got almost 900,000 followers. So I, I could hit 900,000 before, before the end of the year, um, and so that's you know that's a decent number of people that are paying attention to my tweets. Uh, so you, cool. can, you you can follow me on Twitter, but I'm also on. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you know, even I think I even got videos on 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 TikTok. So you can follow me on all the various platforms. YouTube, I think, is my next biggest. I have over five hundred thousand subscribers on my YouTube channel and you can listen to my podcasts, which I do a couple of weeks generally on. um, I post them to YouTube, but I also have them on shift radio. Uh, shiftradio.com is the hosting site for my podcasts. And those podcasts are, you know, up on Apple or, you know, Stitcher or various platforms where people listen to podcasts. So you can listen to mine and, you know, subscribe to them. So you get the notifications when because they're not out at any set point in time, right? They just come out when they come out. So you want to get notified when when there's a new one. And try to encourage other people to listen to my podcast. I think one of the things that I do well is I explain concepts in terms that are easy to understand, and so a lot of people get it after they listen to me. It's like, oh, yeah, now that makes sense. So uh, I, I think I make it easy. I, I, don't, I, I don't talk down to my audience, but I, I, I don't talk to them uh, in jargon that they're not going to get. And yeah. the analogies that I t- tend to use, you know, really help. Uh, get people to understand a point that is really overly complicated by, you know, economic textbooks uh, by design. So, and then if, you know, you're somebody that has more money, you are taking tremendous risk right now. If you do not protect that money, if you do not protect your wealth, especially if you're, you know, my age, I'm almost 60 and you're older and you're like, you've worked for 40 years and you're getting ready to retire. You know, your retirement is going to be very short if, uh, you know, you're in U.S. stocks and bonds, uh, particularly bonds and cash or annuities. I mean, you're, you're not going to be retired. Your money is going to retire, not you. So you've really got to do something. If you're a young person, you're in your 20s, you can get wiped out and you, can, you still have a lifetime to earn your money back. Uh, but if, you know, you're more older, you've already earned all your money and uh, you're not, you don't have, you can't start over. Uh, you know, in your 60s or 70s, so in 80s, so you got to you got to do something and I can help. Uh, you know, we manage money, we create portfolios for people, manage those portfolios, Your Pacific Asset Management is the company I would encourage people to get in touch with my team and discuss your situation, share with us other, you know, your current portfolios, your allocations that we can take a look and and see how our strategies might uh, fit into your overall investment a plan and even if you're not going to have your money directly with me i manage five mutual funds and uh, those mutual funds are on the platforms of all the larger uh discount brokerage houses and so you can kind of do it yourself and, and buy my funds and i manage those funds for you but um i own the types of assets that will do well at least in my opinion in an environment where you have a weak dollar a lot of inflation recession recessionary you know or depression and high inflation uh, I think my assets will do well. In fact, you can look at my two primary strategies on the year: my dividend payer and my value strategy. And both of those have positive returns so far this year. And they're 100% long stocks. And so even though we've had one of the worst years uh, ever in the stock market, you've got the Nasdaq down over 30%. I think the S&P maybe 20%. So you've got bear markets, but you know we still have positive gains. I mean, we don't have huge positive gains. But anything positive is, is, is an enormous accomplishment in 2022. Uh, but I think uh, 2023, 2024 will be much better years for our strategies because I believe the dollar is going down. And uh, we had a strong dollar relative to other currencies that hurt my strategy. We still had positive gains in those strategies despite the dollar strength. But I think next year, if we have a weak dollar, which is what I expect, uh, then instead of a big headwind, we're gonna have a huge tailwind. And so I, my, my expectation is for very strong returns in my strategies next year, even as the US stock and bond market continues to decline.
0: Well, thank you very much, Peter. I encourage everybody to go check out Peter's information, check out Euro Pacific. Uh, is that is it just Euro Pacific?
1: Euro Pacific Asset Management is the, Asset name Management, of yeah. the company. Yeah, europac.com is is the website.
0: Uh, huh. And I will leave links to all that, especially your Twitter feed, you know, since that's grown so much. I am i know I'm a follower on Twitter, but I'm not much of a, a Twitter yeah. user myself. But and, uh, Yeah,
1: and then for physical gold, as I mentioned, it's shiftgold.com. That's the gold company that I recommend for people that need some physical gold and silver.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll definitely get yeah. links for all that, and I'll put it down in the description for our viewers to go all and right. check out.
1: Great.
0: Thank you, Peter, man. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day for me, all man. Right.
1: My pleasure and thanks for uh, the work that you do as well.
0: Yeah, thank you. All right, have a great day. Uneducated Economist, you let me know.